Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 27, and we're going to look at this man overboard, uh, part two, and look at the Apostle Paul and his overboard experience and try to glean some things from it for us as a church, as a congregation, as a group of people, as Christians. So Acts chapter 27, we're going to read all of Acts chapter 27 and part of 28, so it's kind of lengthy, but I think it's important to read the text so that we put in perspective what's happening for this story. Uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 1, it said, And when they decided that they should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. So he entered a ship at, whatever it is, Adriatum or something. We put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Arcticus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and to receive care. Uh, when he had put to sea from there, we sailed from under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we sailed over the sea, which is Sicily of Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lyca. There the centurion found the Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we sailed slowly many days, we arrived with difficulty in Sandus, and the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Smote, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Everybody say Fair Havens. That's where I want to be. Verse 9, And when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship by the things spoken by Paul, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, parting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempest head wind arose called Euclonian. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of the island called Claudia, we secured a skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used the cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should be run aground on the side of sands, they struck sail and were driven. And because they were exceedingly tempest and tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Everybody say, I'm given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred from this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there is no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong, and I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be bought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. 
Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now when the fourteenth night had come and they were driven up and down into Arctic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near to some island and they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped all four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. Look at your neighbor and say, have you ever prayed for day to come? And as the sailors were seeking to escape the sh- from the ship when they had let down the skiff of the sea under the pretense of putting the anchors out from the, from the prow, Paul said to the centurion under pretense, said to the centurion and the officers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes off the skiff and let it fall off. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, today is the 14th day as you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when they had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged, and they took food themselves. And in all, that were 176 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Now it was this day they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach unto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let the ship let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And when the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, the stern was beaten, being beaten and broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers... Plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them for the, for their, from their purpose and commanded that those that were, who could swim could jump overboard. Everybody say, man overboard. First and get to land. And then the rest, some of the, on boards and some on parts of the ship, so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them into fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the Natives saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he has escaped from the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Everybody say justice. But he kept off the creature, but he shook off the creature in the fire and suffered no harm. However, they they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall over dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, They changed their minds and said he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen on the islands whose name was Publius, who had received and entertained us courteously for three days. 
And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when the day was done, the rest of those on the island who had disease came also and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we were departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scripture. God, let it be bread to our spirit man today. Lift every person in this place. Lord, give us what we need to hear through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. Man overboard, number two. The Apostle Paul, a great man of God, a person of influence, termed with the term apostle. In this story, he's a leader. And Luke, the physician writing this story, he writes about Paul leading. So in the early stages of the story, we see that the Apostle Paul speaks to the people and he, he implores them and he tells them, even though you're getting ready to set sail with your ship and I know you own it and I know you guys are sailors and I know all these things, Paul tells them, say, he, he says, I, I sensed with the seasons that it wouldn't be good for us to sail right now. In, a, in the story, it says that those sailors and the captain of the ship and those people, uh, they made their own decision up and they said, we're going to go anyway. We're going to take off and we're going to set sail. And sometimes in life, it's like that with us, that whenever God gives us insight or God gives us a direction to speak something, we'll tell the truth and speak the truth to a situation, and people won't listen. Amen? Amen. Ungodly people won't listen sometimes when you speak truth. So here they are, they don't listen, and, and they, they, they put up the mast, and they take off, and they're sailing across around these oceans, and these uh, islands are everywhere throughout this region. It's right off of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and they're sailing around the bottom edge of there, and as they're seeing all these islands and different things, and it, it's, it's a cold season, right? It's winter, so Paul's trying to tell them, let's winter here. Let's, let's set up and, and set up camp here, and let's, let's take winter here, but the people wouldn't listen. And Paul spoke out even though people wouldn't, didn't listen. And he spoke up for what was right, even when people wouldn't hear. So as I say that to us today, I believe that this uh, uh, sermon about man overboard is about getting Christians to speak up, sometimes even when we're not heard. Amen? To speak the truth and speak truth to situations about justice and the things that Paul is talking about here. We should speak up. But as we see throughout the story, as Paul was telling them and speaking to them, they initially done what they wanted to do. And sometimes in society, when we speak, people will still do what they want to do. But there comes a point when all hell was raining down and the seas were boisterous and there, there's just great storms all the way around them and, the, and they're losing parts of the ship and they're putting ropes underneath them. Can you imagine in a medieval time like this that uh, old junky-looking ships that they would have had and have 260-some people on this boat and they would take ropes and they would throw them underneath and gird the bottom of the ship with these ropes trying to hold it together. And it's just like the world to try to hold their system together. Amen? Hold their stability together and do what they know to do to try to get through the storm. But as the Apostle Paul begins to speak to them and he's encouraging them and he's telling them, you know, an angel appeared to me last night. 
And I just wonder tonight, today if, if, if how many of us in the midst of this situation would be praying, would be seeking God, would be seeking answers, would be seeking insight for what's going on and praying, and an angel would show up. The angel tells Paul it's going to be okay. The apostle Paul goes out and just tells the guys, don't worry about nothing. Not a hair of your head is going to be lost. We're all going to be accounted for and we're going to make it. And as he begins to speak, they begin to listen. And as Paul tells the, the, uh, his captors, because he's actually in chains, he's in bondage, he's a prisoner. And Paul tells the soldiers, he says, look, if you let the, the sailors go, then we're going to be lost. We, you have to keep them on the boat. So the, it says that, the, that the, his captors took and they took their swords and they cut the ropes and let it go back out in the sea. That makes no sense, right? Why, why would you cut the anchors that's going to get you closer to the shore? It doesn't make any sense, but they were trying to get away. And without sailors on a ship, you're in trouble. Amen? It would be like being on an airplane and something happens to both the captains. You better hope somebody else on the plane has flown a plane before. Amen? So here they are in the midst of this situation. Paul speaks to them and he tells them, you've got to keep them guys on the boat. So they cut the cords and they let the anchors go. And they're back out in the sea and all this is going on. And, and Paul's there and he's praying. And, and it's just amazing to me how that we as Christians and as leaders, we don't speak up as much as we ought to. In society, people's looking for somebody to give direction. And when leaders lead, people follow. Sometimes it takes a while. Paul spoke initially, they didn't listen. But now everybody's paying attention. Wow, there's somebody on the boat that an angel come and talk to because God cares whether we live or die. They begin to listen to him. So as he speaks to these occasions and these situations, as he's speaking truth and he's taking up for justice and as he's talking about grace and talking about mercy, can you imagine the Apostle Paul leading and people listening? And I wonder if we would just put ourselves in those shoes today to say, if God can use Paul, God can use me. That if God speaks through the Apostle Paul to cause a calm in a traumatic situation, God can use Ryan to speak to a traumatic situation and people will listen. God can speak to Rachel and Rachel can speak in the schools in a traumatic situation and people will listen. But how often do we speak up when God tells us to speak? And I really, I really wonder that today. How, how many of us, if God tells us to go say something to somebody, usually sit back and say, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Jensen Franklin, ought to, he, ought, he ought to preach a real good sermon on that, and everybody can hear it all over the nation. Or maybe Chris, Pastor Chris Hodges on his podcast, he, he can put that word out and somebody will listen to that. Or we put it off on everybody else when God's telling us to speak to our community where we're at in the situation we're in. Amen. We shouldn't expect God's voice to come through everyone else and never us. And I encourage you today, don't just wait until God preaches through Pastor Ben the sermon that everybody needs to hear. Maybe he's told you to talk about this a long time ago. Don't put it off on everybody else when he's telling you to speak. If you hear God's voice and you sense his direction and you sense his guidance to people that are in trouble, speak up. Look at your neighbor, shake them a little bit and say, you need to talk. Amen. There's a time for us to talk. And I believe we're in a season at Bethesda where that God is equipping us to be men overboard or women overboard that jumps out of our old life into the new life that he's called us into that we speak when we used to be quiet. 
Amen? And I'm not talking about being boasters or being proud or being these things. And sometimes Christians are mean, and we shouldn't be mean. Paul wasn't being mean. He was being kind, right? He was telling them, look, not a hair of your head's going to be, you're going to be lost. We're all going to make it. That's encouraging, right? And where's the encouraging Christians today to say the world is not going to hell in a handbasket? There's Christians all over the world, and upwards of the numbers, they say that up to a billion people on the, on the planet Earth today is Christian. That's one out of every seven. That's a lot of Christians. But they're saying we've got a long ways to go. That's meaning if the rapture would happen today and God would call his church out of the earth, that means that one person will go and six others is going to be standing here through the tribulation. Does that concern you? Does that bother you? That people in your community, one out of six today, if the rapture were to happen, is going to be left behind for the catastrophic events that are to come. The church should be concerned and alarmed in this situation because Jesus did tell them, and he told them that there's a bridegroom coming and there's ten virgins, right? And, and they were trimming their lamps and five were wise and five were unwise. Jesus told us that there was people that would be sleeping, Christians, virgins. Purity is a symbol there to say that there's Christians that's going to be asleep and not even caring that the, that the events are getting ready to happen. How concerned are we to speak up in this season of time where it seems like the world's wheels are falling off and who's speaking up? It's the church's role in our society to speak up for what is right. To stand up for justice. To be an encouragement to those that are hurting around us. To be like Paul was here. When leaders lead, people follow. And the first time you speak up, it might be like Paul here. Everybody's like, oh, who's that crazy man? He's a prisoner. He got shackles on his hand. Who, who's he to tell me anything about which way we need to go? How much selling you ever done? Well, none really. Amen? But if it's not me speaking or my experience is speaking, it's God speaking through me, they better listen. Amen? If it's God's word to society, when God tells me to speak and I speak, they ought to listen. Sometimes they won't. But guess what? Before the, the storm, guess what they're doing now? They're all in, in a frantic mode and looking around. And I, I wish somebody would talk now. I wish somebody would pray. I wish somebody on this boat would know a direction that we're supposed to go. People are looking for somebody to speak up when they're in trouble. Amen? And our, our society, our world is in trouble today. And who's speaking up? Is it the Christians that are standing on the, on the pulpits and saying, this is justice? I read an article just yesterday about how the churches were silent. I shared it on my Facebook. Churches were silent 150 years ago whenever there were African Americans held and bought and sold on a block, an auction like Garrison Auction, downtown Garrison. Can you imagine? Brother Craig, the way we go to the auction and to be standing there and them to put an African-American up on the, on the block and say, how much do you give? And the church was silent. Heaven help us if we are quiet. Amen. Christians should be the ones to say, that is not justice. That does not align with the word of God. Christians should not own other Christians. Humans should not own other humans. It's a pretty simple concept. It's called justice. 
If there's a certain segment of our society today that's in plight, that's in peril, that's having no one to stand up and talk for them in our society, who in the church is going to stand up and say, that is wrong and this is right? Justice is worth fighting for. The men and women in our society that went and fought on the battlefields that we recognize today, right? It's Veterans Day. And we say thank you for your service that they went and fought and they fought in these wars and they come back. Pap's not here today. He's sick and he asked for prayers. They messaged me this morning and said they didn't want to come in case it gets a cold because if he coughs it hurts more. He just had open heart surgery. Pray for Pap. He's in Vietnam War. Vietnam War, the heroes that went over and fought for freedom when they come home were spit on. We're mocked, we're made fun of on national news. They're the heroes. Where was the Christians then standing up and saying, it is justice for our heroes, our veterans, to go and fight in a war for freedom for other countries? Where's the Christians to today that'll say, it's worth us giving up some of our economy so that the world can be a safer place, and let's go, if somebody is wishing ill will towards justice, where are we at, church? And I'm not talking about always wanting to fight and always being a warmonger and all that. But if it's worth fighting for, if it's for justice, it's worth doing. And it's worth Christians speaking up, not being mean, not being rude, not being inconsiderate, but with humility. Amen? Paul spoke up, people began to listen. And I'm telling you in this place today, if you speak up, if you lead, others will follow. It doesn't matter to me if it's your job site, if it's your place in, in, in county that you live in, maybe it's the holler you live in. Who's going to be the pillar of society in Vance's Creek, Jason, if Jason don't speak? Amen? Vance Creek deserves justice. Rock Creek deserves justice. You mean a little bitty old place like Kentucky Heights, just a little community with 50 houses? It's, it's worth having some young man that will come to church and hear about God's justice and will stand up for what's right in Rock Creek? Yeah, God cares that much about Rock Creek and Kentucky Heights. Who's going to speak when everybody's quiet? Paul spoke. This young lady that was uh, stood up here just within 15, 20 minutes ago. 16 minutes ago, actually. i got a clock right here. Stood up with a microphone and did an awesome job. Amen? And one thing I thank God for Bethesda is Dusty and Albie come to me and said, Look, Pastor we got to involve some of these youth into doing transitions and let other people do transitions. It shouldn't always just be Dusty and, and Albie and, and Leslie and, and Mackenzie on the, on the mission Sunday. It should be we allow other people. As pastor, what do you think I think? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know why? Because she's got a gift and she's saying, I want to speak and I'll use it for God's kingdom if you'll let me. If we train them how to speak at that age, they won't be sitting cowards like most of us are when we're our age. Come on, somebody. 
Because 99% of the churches you go into this morning, there's nobody on that platform under the needs of the age of 20 years old saying anything because they won't give it a mic because they're afraid of what will happen. What if? When God's saying, that is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased, and if you'll give her the microphone, I'll show you a gift that you haven't seen before. Amen? So it's encouraging to me as a pastor to say, yes, we'll let a kid do that because, you know what, in most churches and most parts of society, they'll say, well, you have to be somebody of affluence. You go to a big church in Portsmouth somewhere, and they've got big brick uh, cathedrals and big nice windows, and we got some of the windows here. has got the hose in them and tape over them. we got a parking lot over there with gravels in it, and they got big blacktop parking lots, and you go in, and unless you're a doctor or unless you're a lawyer or unless you're somebody with some affluence in society, you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to be anybody you can't be on the board who are you and here at Bethesda well look how old is she 11 12 we'll give a microphone to a 12 year old and say speak sister a lot of churches say women take your seat be quiet you know what I want to do as a church as a pastor I want to be the apostle Paul behind her backing her up patting her on the back saying yes you can little girl you just take a microphone and you speak boldly and you declare the things of justice and you can shake a nation. Amen? God can use the youth to do what he's called us to do. If they will speak and if we will train them and encourage them as adults. And all of us today, whenever she comes back up there out of Children's Church, I just double dog dare you to go back there and pat her on the back and say, man, you was an encourager to me. I wish I could have stood up when I was 12 years old. I wish I would have spoke the way you spoke. I wish I had had clarity the way you have clarity. I wish I was just somewhat of a part of you. And she'll be like, what? I'm just a little bitty kid just talking. Right? But you've got to think in her mind, when she looks out over this crowd, see there's about 25 some people here or something, 30 maybe. Not a lot. But from a 12-year-old's mind with a microphone, it looks like a sea of people. Has anybody ever had a microphone? You want me to just do pass the mic and everybody here get up and come up and tell something on the microphone? You get you a little feel of what it's like. But can you imagine in her little world when she goes back into school and she's down there and one of her little friends says, well, what did you do this weekend? Well, they let me have the microphone at church and I got to do the announcements and it was awesome. And other little kids are going to be like, really? You're 12 years old. You're 12 -y. What are you doing standing up in front of people talking? I love it. It feels like God gave me a gift to do it, and she can just be encouraged. And, and we, she's going to simulate in this team. That's not her last time up here with a microphone, I assure you that. And we need to encourage the youth to speak up for what's justice, for grace, and for mercy, because other people will follow. Amen? As a church, we should be the encouragers. That's what the Apostle Paul was. But as you look at this, and, and can you imagine Paul, from his perspective, he's here, and he's told them, and they said no, and they went out to sell anyway, and he's in the midst of this, and he's in chains, and he's got this title of apostle, and as he's floating around out there in the middle of this sea, and there's rocks, and there's these banks, and all this different stuff, and the wind, and there's a storm, and, and, and the boat's falling apart. Can you imagine being in that position thinking, God, why me? 
Why me? You called me to be an apostle. I didn't know it was going to be like this. Yeah. Amen? It's kind of like when God calls you to be a Christian and you give your heart to Jesus and you pray the sinner's prayer and you walk out your faith and you begin to walk and the next thing you know and the storms of life comes around you and you look and you say, well, why does bad things happen to good people? Amen? It's a question everybody asks. Why does bad things happen to good people? Why? Because it's God's intentionality to see His goodness to the world. Because if you never have a storm, what have you ever been brought through? Come on, somebody. If you've never been in a storm, you can never brag about the deliverance that God has performed. So Paul, in the midst of this situation, I can see that he's got a decision to make. Am I going to cry and go to sleep in this boat? Or am I going to stand up and keep on doing what I've always done, which is speak when God tells me to speak? Amen. And it's just like that for us. Because somebody in this room might be going through hell on the inside. You may be going through some situations in your home, in your family, at your workplace. And you're thinking, why me, God? I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to fight this good fight. And why am I in the midst of this situation? And God's saying, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those that are called. According to His purpose, not our purpose, His. So Paul, in the midst of this situation, said, I'm going to speak anyway. And he begins to tell them what to do. Cut them ropes. Amen. He, his own captors, the people that are holding the locks to the keys to the things on his wrist, he's telling them what to do. What if God gives you influence where you like, man, how did that ever happen? When did a prison guard ever tell, be told what to do by a prisoner? This makes no sense, does it? But God. Amen? But God, speaking through you, causes others to listen. If you will lead, others will follow. In your home, maybe your kids are doing whatever they want to do and saying what they want to say and got their own agenda. And they're not living out the life that God called them to live. Speak up. I don't ever, ever say it during my weddings, and I took it, the, the line out. I don't even like it. I won't use it. When you say, speak now, forever hold your peace, hogwash. Don't wait till the wedding day and come in and cause a scene. That's baloney. Amen. If you had something to say, you should have said it a long time ago. Come on, somebody. Speak now, forever hold your peace. You're going to hold it here because I ain't even giving you the chance. Come on. So today, here we are. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Don't wait till it's over. And stand there looking in a casket saying, man, I wish I would have said. Maybe you got a niece or nephew that's addicted to drugs and you're thinking, man, man, I wish God you'd give me an opportunity and he'd let you come in their path in and out, in and out, and in and out, and you say nothing and God's telling you what to say and you won't say it. Speak now or forever hold your peace. God has given you a platform to say something to situations in your life now. Don't wait until it's too late. And Paul could have been in a predicament there, you know, to say, God, I'm sick of this. I'm fighting, I'm trying, I'm doing all I know to do. You give me the title apostle, and here I am in a ship in the middle of a storm, and the ship's falling apart, and it don't make any sense, and I don't like it, God, and nan, nan, boo-boo, I ain't doing it no more. Be easy to do, wasn't it? 
It's called giving up. But now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. If we have faith, it'll get us through those situations where we say, I believe in a better tomorrow than what I'm living through right now. Amen. The hell I'm going through with right now, it don't even it don't even compare to the eternal things and the principles and the things that God has called me to do. You might not understand how I'm getting through this situation, but you need to just need to watch because God's doing something. Amen. Just because I'm here right now don't mean I'm going to be here tomorrow. And Paul begins to tell him, look, there's an angel come to me last night. And he told me that I'm getting to the shore and all you are getting to the shore. Whether you like it or not, if God says it, if God be for me, who can be against me? Is there anybody in this church that believes that God can call you to speak? Amen. He does. He speaks and it changes situations. It changes it all. And next thing you know, can you imagine Paul being the swimmer and he takes off swimmer to the shore and some people are floating on, on boards beside of him. And we got all these images in our brain today about all these things because of movies like Titanic and all this stuff. And you can symbolize that. You can picture that, right? And floating to that shore. And can you imagine getting up to the shore? It's cold. It's in the middle of winter. How many of you would like to have been floating in, in the Ohio River last night? So he gets to the shore and guess what happens? He's got a decision to make, don't he? Because most of us, if we was a prisoner and the boat broke up and we ended up on the shore, I got a decision to make. Do I want to run for it? Or am I just going to stay a prisoner because God told me to? Paul says, well, I'll tell you what. And it says that the community... The island of Malta that he lands on, that the community comes there and they show up and they build them a fire and they welcome them. How well do we welcome those Amen. when they show up on our shores? It's a question I'm talking about justice. And if Christians don't speak up, who's going to? Because if we say nothing, we're saying something. And it's scary. Because what does this Bible tell us to do? Take up for the widow. Take up for the orphan. Clothe those without clothes. Didn't Jesus say, I come to you and you gave me bread to eat? Did he not tell us to feed those that don't have food? Didn't he tell us to give a drink of water in his name? Did not he tell us to do that? That's Bible. That's justice. So Paul's sitting here on this island, and he's, he's there, and I can imagine. Can you imagine wanting to get warm after being froze to death? Can you imagine swimming in the Ohio River last night and coming to the shore, finally getting there after a shipwreck, after being on a fast for 14 days, and he finally told them to eat, and they ate? Paul's leading. He's, he's, lead, he's, he's leading. Other people's falling, right? And he gets there on that shore, and he, I'm sure he huddled up around that far for a minute, and he thought, man, this thing's going to go out if somebody don't do something. How many of us look around for something to do because something's going to happen if somebody does nothing? How many of us would let the fire go out because we're staying there getting warm? But Paul, Apostle Paul, it says he looked around and, and, he, and he began to go and gather up sticks, didn't he? He went and gathered up sticks. Go grab some of them, pick up, and go back and throw on the fire. Keep it going. It happens every year at our annual camping trip. 
go to Carter Cave. Some people stoke the fire and some people pour water on it. It's the truth. But do you know what this means to me in leadership? That I'm preaching about leadership today and speaking up? Is Paul was willing to do what others were willing to let go. My pastor, one of the, I, I love Pastor Wells to death. He's preached here several times. He's, he's my mentor. He, he's my, I call him my spiritual father. The Bible's full of that. Paul had Timothy and Titus, and he had all these people he called his spiritual sons, even, even one guy named Omnis. Pastor Wells, anybody that walks up to him, and he, in his church, he was there 23 years, I think it was, pastor in that church, and he put out over 25 pastors to other churches I've been here for seven years eight years now and there hasn't been one pastor leave here to go pastor somewhere else he put out more than one per year to go pastor somewhere else train them up equip them give them the pulpit and let them go It'd break my heart to watch people walk away, but Pastor Wells like, I'm giving a gift to the kingdom of God. But every one of those men and women that are out there pastoring today, when they walked up to Pastor Wells and said, I want to be a preacher pastor, you know what he gave them? Toilet brush. That's what he'd hand you is a toilet brush. He handed it to me. He said, go clean the toilet. God called me to preach, Pastor. He didn't say nothing about it. He didn't call me to the janitor service ministry. But Pastor Wells knows if you won't clean a toilet, you'll never be able to do what's called back here. Amen? So we had to go in. Every one of us that ever come out of his ministry to come to pastor had to go and clean toilets. And I remember being up at Raceland Church with a toilet brush cleaning up messes. Has anybody ever had to clean up a mess? We had it happen one time where the boy didn't even leave his seat. He was on the back pew and sat there and decided he didn't want to get up and go to the bathroom, and he went anyway. It was all over the seat. And if you don't learn how to clean up other people's messes in humility, the ministry is not a place for you because you're going to get your feelings hurt. Amen? So we had to learn the hard way of how to do that. And man, Ernie has drove a church bus at racing so many times, and I've watched kids fight. I've watched them cuss each other out. I've watched everything you can imagine to watch on a church bus. And it's like, but pastor, I'm called to preach. He's like, yeah, I know. But you're gonna, you're, what you're going to do is you're going to get that toilet brush, and you're going to get on that church bus, and you're going to learn to be faithful because if you'll be faithful there, then God will allow you to be, he'll give you, he'll give you a pulpit someday. I wouldn't be who I am today if Pastor Wells wouldn't have trained me how to serve others. And I'm not beyond right now of picking up a toilet brush and cleaning the toilet whenever I see something wrong in the bathrooms today. It don't bother me at all. I've done it. Amen. Why? Because that's what God tells me to do. I'm a servant, right? Leaders are not leaders because of title or position. Leaders are leaders because they serve others. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Leaders are leaders because they serve others. So here you go. As Pastor Wells taught me that, as I began to do that, that's who I am today. That's how I'm made up. That's, that's, that's who I am as a person, as a pastor. Because God has equipped me to do that. So as I say that, Paul was picking up sticks 
And he should have been able to say, but I'm an apostle. So in leadership, you can see a leadership to be like this, a pyramid, right? So if you think about apostles, that's the top point of the pyramid. That is the exact, it, it's the pinnacle of all of it. It's like that's the highest position possible. But the apostle Paul, if he would walk in any church in the world today, we would bow down. We would, oh my goodness, I can't believe Paul the apostle's here. He's the one who wrote the New Testament books. He's, oh man, he's amazing. But here's this guy out here on this shipwreck, ends up floating in and swimming to the shore and gets there and picks up sticks. How many's ever done the right thing for the right reasons? But guess what happens to him in the midst of when he's picking up sticks and he's carrying them over and throwing them in the fire? What happens to him? You heard me read the story. He got bit by a snake. I'll tell you right now, when you lead, you're going to get bit. When you do things others won't do, you're going to get bit. And guess what? Everybody else is going to be watching. And they're going to say, man, can you imagine that happened to them? I, there's a Christian, and I knew that whenever you try to serve God, that he'll let you down, he'll abandon you, and you'll go through all kinds of hell, and all the world's going to be out there looking, saying, man, man, look at that. It's going to be right now. It's going to be made correct, and they're going to walk back on God. But Paul's standing there, and as he's standing there, and it says that this cobra latches out on his hand, and he just shakes it off. What about us in this place today? What if we was going through some hell? What if we was going through some high water? What if we was trying to do the right thing and all of a sudden a snake latches on us or we get bit in the spiritual sense that something's going wrong? What if we would just shake it off? There's people in this room, you need to hear this. What if you're going through something today and you're thinking, man, the whole world's looking saying, this is the time they're going to give up on Jesus. This is the time they're going to walk away. What if you just stick out your hand right there and just shake it a little bit? Won't somebody do that? Just, just shake it. Look over at your neighbor. Just smile real big. Say, I just shake that off, honey. That ain't nothing. I'm walking, baby. I'm going to keep on walking. You just keep on talking because guess what? If God be for me, I don't have to worry about this little snake hanging off my side. It can be a cobra. It can be anything you want because if God has followed me, if God has empowered me, if God has promised me, it's going to come true. So this week, I know there's people in this room that's going to go through some hell. You're going to go through some tribulations. And whenever you begin to speak out, because I'm encouraging you to as your pastor, and you're going to try to stand up for what's right, and you're going to talk about justice, and you're going to take up for the kid that don't have any shoes on his feet, Rachel, and you're going to say it's not right for some kids to have five different pair of shoes, a different pair for every day of the week. And that kid, I'm going to stand up for justice. There's people that's going to mock you. They're going to ridicule you. They're going to say, oh, look at Rachel. She's taking up for God, isn't she so nice? It's a snake bite. Just shake it off. And I want you to symbolically do that. They don't have to know even what you're doing. Or if something bites you this week, just, in the, just in, in, in the physical, do that. Jason, if you're out there in the garage and everybody's whatever's going on and you see like the whole world's caving in on top of you and you don't know if you're going to get this car done or that car done and, and, and she's in the house and she's cooking her dinner and, and this is going on and the neighbor across the street saying this and that about Jason, guess what, just stick your hand out there and just do that. There's people in this room that needs to do that because it's going to be symbolic to the devil. Get off my case because I'm not bowing. Amen. I'm not caving in. I'm going to walk with Jesus no matter what. I'll drown in this ship on this seashore and I'll be trying to swim because I'm a man overboard. And guess what? I'm going for God. Let the whole world do whatever they want. I'm coming. Shake it off, church. Christians need to hear that. You're more than overcomers. By two things, 
It says in Scripture, two things that you're an overcomer by. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. If you'll begin to testify about what God, man, but God brought me from the hellion I was to the person I am today. And if I'll stand up for it, God will be at the headwind at my back to get me where I need to bow. Amen? If you lead, others will follow. We've got two minutes. Leaders pick up sticks. Leaders do what others won't. Sometimes you get bit, but just shake it off. Just shake it off. Paul would go on to write a letter to Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner. He was a Jewish man that had slaves. And, and Paul, once he gets to Rome, he gets through all this situation we're in here, and Paul gets to Rome, but he's a man overboard. And when he gets to Rome, he writes these letters, and he begins to talk about justice. I want you guys to go home, and I want you to read the, the epistle of Philemon. It's one page. It's one chapter. About 20-some verses, I think. Very short. But basically, Paul was telling Philemon, I'm going to send Omnibus back to you. He was your slave. He'd done you wrong. He stole off of you and ran away, and you owned him. And he says, Philemon, you got a house at your church, or a church at your house. I said that backwards. You got a church at your house. Anybody in here got a church at your house? You ought to have. You ought to have if you don't. You can preach to yourself through the week. Amen. You can go find podcasts. You can get on Bible apps. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can preach to yourself through the week. You, you don't have to come to church to get a sermon. You can sermonize yourself. Because the Holy Spirit's wherever you're at, isn't he? With your Christ, as a Christian, is he not with you? Did Jesus not say, I'll go with you, I'll stand beside you, I'll be with you at the end of the age? That's what he said. You can have church right at your house. So there's this guy, and he's got this church at his house, and other people are coming over, and he's preaching to them. He's teaching his community. He's doing the right thing. But in the back of his mind, he's harboring his feelings about, man, oh, oh, ominous, he really got me. Oh, ominous, he, he stole from me, and I, he was my slave, and he ran away. But isn't it just like God? Because the Apostle Paul to be in Rome, so the Dominus ends up there talking to a guy named Paul. And Dominus comes to know Jesus. And Paul writes a letter titled Philemon. He puts it in. He puts it in Dominus's hand. And he said, "Here, take that back to Philemon for me." What would that feel like? Yeah. Yeah. What if you was a runaway slave that stole from your master when you left? Yeah. And somebody put something in your hand and said, take this back to him. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, eh. Yeah. What about all that, boss? <laughs> but Philemon does it. He receives the letter from Omnibus that brings it back to him. And Paul tells Philemon in the letter, when Omnibus comes to your doorstep, I want you to treat him like it's me. And he says in the letter, he says, you wouldn't be a Christian today if I hadn't come and preached in your town. Yeah. Amen. Treat him like you would Jesus. And what if we would begin to do that in our Christianity, in our churches, Bethesda? What if we would begin to speak when God tells us to speak? What if we would declare justice when God tells us to declare justice? 
And what if we treat people like they was Jesus walking up to me? It'll turn your world upside down. It'll turn your job side upside down. It can change everything if you go overboard. Is anybody willing to jump? Even in the middle of a storm? Even though it's winter? I can come up with a thousand reasons why Paul shouldn't have jumped. But he did. What are you going to do? Stand. I want everybody here to just pray this very simple prayer with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Help me today forget my past. Give me a dream of my future. Speak to me, and I'll speak for you. In Jesus' name, amen.